For some of us, we've been reading through Nehemiah for the past couple of weeks, and uh, when I read this particular chapter last week, uh, God said, this is Sunday morning sermon. So with that said, I want to share with you just a little bit, we've been looking over the past few weeks about growing deeper in our faith, and we've talked about how it's important for us to... um, to have a, a, a grounding in Scripture and how it's necessary for us to understand what the Bible means and what it says and how we should change our life and live our life. We looked over a couple of weeks how to pray, how do we, how do we share what's on our heart to God and how do we wrestle through those issues that when we, we want an answer and God delays the answer, how do we persist in praying? Today we're going to talk about devotion. Now, devotion, I looked up the meaning of the word devotion. I struggled with the title, if you will. I wanted to say growing deeper in worship, and I wanted to say growing deeper in love, and, and I just, God kept saying devotion. So I looked up the word devotion. Devotion can mean acronyms, uh, different things. One would be adoration. One would be affection. Another would be faithfulness. Another would be love. So I want you to think with me today on what it means to grow deeper in your in your devotion, your adoration, your affection, your faithfulness, your love for God. And while I was thinking about all of that yesterday, I'm moving a little slower today because of yesterday. Now, yesterday I worked in the yard. I haven't worked in the yard in a while. I had the chainsaw, there was a a holly, it was supposed to be a shrub, it became a tree over time, and it was taller than the house, and so Joel and I, we began the process of cutting it down. I haven't operated a chainsaw in several months now, and when I went to whack it away, it was a long process, and then that had to be drugged towards the woods in the back. And then when I did that, there was another tree that had fallen that Rhonda wanted me to cut, and I cut that one, and it was a little bigger. So by the time I finished those projects and then did another project that included me being on a ladder that might have been deemed unsafe by some, meaning I had a, it was on the steps, and I had this system built, and I had the ladder on the platform, on the steps, on the deck, hanging some lights and drilling holes. So by the time yesterday ended, I I mean, today, there were muscles that I've not used in a really long time. So I'm not moving real fast today. And I'm saying that to say to you, it, it makes me think about what it means to be devoted to God, what it means to love God, what it means to serve God. Because when we exercise our spiritual muscles When we exercise our our faith, our devotion to God, our faith in God to experience the power of God, and that takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of perseverance. We need to realize and understand that we never fully reach the potential, the person that God wants us to be and become. It's an ongoing process. So with all of that said, There's a a similar verse of Scripture that kind of parallels, in a way, the same message of Nehemiah chapter 9. 
And it's from 2 Corinthians 7, 14. And it simply says this, If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their sins, I will forgive their sins and will heal or restore their land. Now I want you to think about that verse in relation to what we're going to read from Nehemiah in just a moment. Because in every generation, in every generation, we all struggle with our own unique sins. Now, yesterday while I was doing the yard work, I had the pods in the ear and I was listening to music and I would get tired of one station, I would change it to another station, to another station. I went back to my childhood when, when my dad loved country music, so I was listening at one time to classic country music. In case some of you don't know what that means, I'm talking about Merle Haggard, Loretta Lynn, and some of you may still say, I don't know who that is. It's okay. They're, 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 some of them aren't alive anymore. But in that genre of music, they talked about lifestyles, and they talked about adultery, and they talked about a, a, another woman, try, Loretta Lynn, you ain't, you ain't woman enough to steal my man. And I, I listened to it, and I laughed out loud because I'm thinking there's still women today trying to steal another wife's husband. And then I thought about uh, Merle Haggard when he sang, Mama Tried. Mama tried to raise me right. I was the only one that didn't live right, and I ended up in prison. I'm going to be there for the rest of my life, and that was on me. And then I flipped it over to some classic rock. So then, then I started listening to some of those words when I was a teenager. And, and as I listened to some of those words, I thought, well, same problems we've got today are the same problems they had back when I was a teenager and then I listened to some other music. I quickly turned that one off because I thought, no, I can't listen to that. That, is, that pushed it too far. So here's what I want you to see. We are living in an age just like every other age. There are some things today that are more in our faces. There are some things today that are now accepted as okay that have never been okay. So here's, here's what I want me and you to see today. And this has nothing to do, well, it does, but it's not the main point. This is not about God healing the United States of America. That, that is important. But I'm, I'm thinking more of our church. I'm thinking more of us collectively. And this is what God's laying on my heart today. This is the bottom line. We collectively, all of us, need to understand what sin we have in our life, what things that we do and say that God does not approve of, that God has said, no, I don't want you to do that. We need to understand that collectively as a church, we are representing the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And if we expect and want God's blessings to hear our prayers and answer our prayers then we also need to understand we need to live a life that is pursuing holiness. And that's in every area of our life. So I want you to hear that. That's the heart of this message this morning. So in Nehemiah chapter 9, we are, we are reminded that if we don't want to miss God's blessings, we need to have a true devotion for Him 
a true adoration, a true faithfulness to God. So I'm going to read these verses, first three verses of chapter 9. On the 24th day of this month, the Israelites assembled. They were fasting, wearing sackcloth, and had put dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their ancestors. While they stood in their places, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day and spent another fourth of the day in confession and worship of the Lord their God. Now, I, I, want, I would love to read the rest of the chapter, but time's just not going to allow. Although when I read that, I think time should allow. But we're not used to worshiping that long. This was a unique circumstance. This follows another mark of them, the Israelites, when the wall of Jerusalem had been reconstructed, rebuilt from its ruins. They are now understanding and realizing who they are as they stand before a holy, righteous God, the creator of all. And, and so Nehemiah recorded the story. He said, on this day, the 24th day of this month, some translations say October. In the Jewish calendar, this was the, the seventh, I believe it was the seventh month that they were doing this. And on the seventh month in the Jewish calendar, I want you to see what they did. They fasted. They fasted. We don't, we today in our, our modern culture, there are few of us that practice the spiritual discipline of fasting, which basically means I am not going to not eat to lose weight. I am going to not eat so that I can spend more time praying to God, reading his word, listening to him so that I can grow deeper in my own faith. The whole assembly of these people, the Israelites in the city of Jerusalem, were fasting. They also were wearing sackcloth. That was their sign, their symbol, their outward expression of, I am mourning, I am regretful, I am sorrowful for my sins and what we allowed to happen in our city to the city of God. And so they wore this sackcloth and they had ashes upon their head. And then in the second verse, it says they separated themselves from the non-Jewish people. They had been interspersed and intermingled together. And many of them had married non-Jewish people. And God had forbade that in the Old Testament law. And so they separated themselves, he says, from all of the foreigners. And then they did something absolutely incredible. They stood amongst each other and confessed their sins. Could you imagine if I just said one Sunday, I'd like for you to stand and confess your sins to everybody else. I believe we might have a little silence going on. I think we would probably go, well, that's between me and God. I'm not going to tell anybody about my sins because that's personal and that's private. They stood and they confessed their sins. You know, there were probably some people that looked at them and said, I never knew that. But then there were probably some they said, oh, we've been knowing about that for a long time. They stood and they confessed their sins, but they also confessed their sins 
of their ancestors, their fathers, their mothers, their grandparents, and the generations before them. In fact, if you reread or read this entire chapter, it's a long list of the sins of the people of Israel. And, and the conclusion was this. We are here in this city that was once desolate with no walls broken and the temple destroyed. We are here in this ruin because of the sins of those before us as well as our own sins. God judged us for what we did in disobeying him. So I want us to pause for just this moment and ask ourselves this question, or you ask yourself this question. What unconfessed sins do I have in my life? What things am I doing? What things am I thinking? What things have God, has God asked me to do that I am not doing and that I should be doing? Am I really being honest with God and sincere with God and confessing, openly admitting to God that this is where I have failed him? And, and see, sin is both the sins of things we're not supposed to do as well as the things we're supposed to do that we don't do. And so they, they stood and they confessed their sins. And then in verse 3, he says, when they stood in their places, once they had confessed their sins, they went back and they reread the book of the law. And this takes a long time, by the way. This is not a short passage. This is a lot of Scripture. And they read it for another part of the day. And they confessed and they worshipped. They genuinely worshipped and praised God. So see, this was a day of honest reflection, of honest confession, and honest celebration. Honest gratitude for what God was about to do in their life. And so... I could have titled this Growing Deeper in Confession, couldn't I? But I figured if I titled it that, y'all might turn away and leave. And I didn't want anybody else to know because if it were in the bulletin, or not the bulletin, but the newsletter that some of us get electronically, you may go, oh, I ain't coming to church today. He's talking about confessing our sins. So this was all a surprise. And so I want us to see that God wants us to understand the seriousness of, of our sin because sin robs us from our blessing it robs us from the resurrection powers the choir saying to experience the presence of God it robs us of our faith it robs us of our future it robs us of so much and yet so many of us live a life of unconfessed sin we just go through those motions. And, and then in the next chapter, we're not going to look at this chapter, but in chapter 10, the whole chapter is a written record of their sins collectively as a nation on paper. And then they made promises to God of what they weren't going to do going forward. For example, they said, we're not going to marry a non-Jewish person. We're not going to do business on the Sabbath day. And we're not going, and they just went on and on and on of what they were not going to do. They said, God, we know this is wrong. We know this isn't right. We know this is what you want us to do. So now we're going on record saying that we are going to live a life that will please you and honor you. I think that's pretty powerful. So what does that mean for me and you today? 
Well, it means basically this. It means that, that I need to and you need to, if we collectively are going to experience God's best in our life, if we are going to experience the blessing of God being poured out upon us, then we need to do the same thing that they did. Now, now some may say and some may argue, well, this was the Old Testament. Remember I quoted from 2 Chronicles chapter 7 earlier that if we humble ourselves and we turn from our wickedness and confess our sins, blah, 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 that God will heal our land. And then we read this, Nehemiah, in the Old Testament that, you know, that's Old Testament. The Old Testament was about the God of judgment, you know, the God who gets us when we don't do what we're supposed to do. And there's story after story after story of that. But the New Testament is a story of God's love and God's grace and God's mercy. Let me, let me set the record straight. Listen very carefully. In the book of Nehemiah and in 2 Chronicles and in the book of Psalms and in every other book of the Old Testament, God is a God of judgment and God is also a God of mercy and grace. And in fact, if you read this, this book, Nehemiah, and you read it very carefully, you will hear these people say, God was merciful to us for a really long time. God let us get away with sins and disobedience for a long time. And then God judged. So there's grace and mercy in the Old Testament just like there is in the New Testament. Things haven't changed. In fact, if you read the book of Acts, there were two characters who were stealing some money from well, the treasury. Ananias and Sapphira, they called them together. Peter did and said, tell me what you've done. The husband said, oh, blah, 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 blah. He died right there on the spot. And they carried him out and buried him right then. Call the wife in. Tell us what you've done. Same thing, blah, 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 blah. I haven't done nothing. And then to me, it's kind of a funny line. I mean, it's not funny, but yet it's interesting. Peter basically said to her, the same men that carried your dead husband out are about to carry you out, and boom, she fell dead right there. Whoa, that's quick judgment. That's just one case of many others in the New Testament. When you read the book of Revelation, God's judgment is real. And perhaps what we don't understand is that our sins could be one of the reasons we're not experiencing God's best in our life and perhaps even in our church at times. You see, disobedience by God, while mercy is extended, God at some point wants us to turn from that sin and then become the person he wants us to become. This is how Jesus said it in John 14, verses 23 and 24. Judas, not Iscariot. Y'all caught that. Judas, not Iscariot. Not Judas Iscariot asked Jesus a question, and this was his reply to Judas and the rest. He said, all who love me will do what I say. Well, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Jesus said, everybody who loves me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. So what he was saying was, if you read the whole context, I'm about to die, I'm about to be buried, I will be raised again, 
And then we, God, God the Godhead, not we multiple, but one God revealed in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He said, when I go, I won't leave you comfortless. We will come and we will be with you. And, and we will, but he said, you must understand you've got to love me. And if you love me, then you will do what I say. And Jesus was asked multiple times when he walked the earth, what is the greatest commandment? And he always said to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and what? Your strength. And then he said, and I'm just going to give this to you for free, the second of the, all the commandments, all of the Old Testament law, is not just to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but he then said to love your neighbor as you love yourself. He said the whole law is fulfilled in those two. And so Jesus said, if you're going to love me, then we've got to love God first and foremost with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbors ourselves. And then he said, anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. There's an, an interesting statement that Jesus made. It wasn't the only time he said something very, very similar to this, same meaning. You see, those of us who love Jesus we will want to do our best to obey him in every area of our life. And if we're going to grow deeper in our devotion, then we need to learn how to love Jesus more. But if we don't really love Jesus, Jesus himself said, you don't even know me. Because true followers of Christ want to please him. So the first thing I want to share with you, how you can grow deeper in your devotion is to have honest confession. I mean real honest confession. And and this is how Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians 7.10. He says, For the, the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. So here's what he's saying. There are some people that are sorry They did something. Sorry they said something. Sorry that they didn't do something they were supposed to do. Or sorry they they were going to do something that they didn't do it. Here's an example of real life. Friday morning, Ron and I had a conversation to help me focus and get ready for Saturday. Now, I wasn't real happy about the conversation, to be honest with you. It bled over into Friday night. Here was the the conversation. Sam, to be prepared for tomorrow, everything needs to be ready. So Friday, make sure everything we need or you need to cut the tree down and do all the other work, you've got everything you need. Don't waste time Saturday getting those things done because you're going to need all day. Now, interpreted this as Rhonda's way of saying it to me. I know you. You will waste time, and you'll run out of time, and you won't get the stuff done. Now, that was her way of saying all of that to me. Now, I took it as, I'm a man. I know what I'm doing. Here was the one thing I knew that I needed to check on. I needed the gas oil mixture for the chainsaw. So reluctantly, listen now, reluctantly, I went to the basement, and yes, Katie saw it. 
what are you doing? I rolled my eyes. Rhonda did not. She just heard about it. And she said, what? And I said, here, Mom. I checked the gas can, and guess what? It was almost empty. And I went, great. So I went back up, and I told her, yep, I need to get some gas today. I got home from a long day of hospice work. You know what I didn't want to do? Go get gas. I wanted to go eat and sit down and prop my feet up and relax. Well, that didn't. Here's what basically happened. We had a discussion that resulted in me pouting and resulted in me sulking. And then when we got home, this is all still continuing, and I said on the way home, I'm going to go and get the gas tonight. Do you know why I'm going to get the gas tonight? Because I made a promise, and I said it with attitude. I said it with attitude. Was that right? No. I went and got the gas. Saturday morning came. Now all is well. We've made up. We've forgiven, blah, blah, blah. Here's, here's what I want you to understand when it comes to sin. Sin is things that we, we say we're going to do and we don't do. Sin is things God wants us to do that we don't do. Sin is anything where we disobey God in any shape, form, or fashion. And there has to be, as Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 7.10, we have to have a measure of sorrow, regret, that we broke God's Word. And that means we have to confess that. Now, I just did a public confession before God, my wife, and everybody. Now, I've already done it privately, but I did it publicly today. So now you know more about me than you probably wished you had known. Or maybe you just said, he's just like me. And the truth would be true. We, we need to have sorrow when we disobey God. Not just in our human relationships, but with every relationship. Because godly sorrow, Paul wrote, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, godly sorrow produces in us the spirit and the character of Jesus himself. But he said, if you are sorry that you got caught, or you're sorry that it was exposed, but you don't change your behaviors, that leads to death. It leads to death, spiritual death. You see, saved people, people who know they're going to heaven, when they know they've done wrong, they have to admit it to God, confess it to God, and say, God, help me not to do this again. Work within me to change me to become the person you really want me to be. And sometimes we have to tell other people about this because it affects them. You, you need to know you do not have a perfect man as a pastor. I'm not. But neither are you perfect people. We all have our sin. We all have our struggles. And we all need to, to understand, I need to confess and repent of that sin. And you're probably going to have to do this every day. 
I, I do. I mean, I'm, I'm, I got my stuff. So we, we need to do that. And then we, we need to read Scripture. I remember probably two years ago, maybe three, I was in the young adult Sunday school class just visiting for a moment, and Jennifer Arnold said to me, you know what you say a lot? I said that you should read your Bible. She said, yes, you say that all the time. We've got it. You can move on now. I went, no, 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 because we forget. We need to read Scripture. We need to know what Scripture says. You need to read the same things you've read before again and again and again. We need to take God's Word and put it deep into our heart as well as our mind. Because just because you know something doesn't mean you're going to do it. As soon as I walked down and saw that mostly empty gas can, thank goodness there was another bottle of that oil mixture in the basement. It's the last one. I've got to have to buy some more now. But I'm grateful there was that because that way I didn't have to go somewhere else to get that. I could just go get gas. Here's what I want you to see and understand. Just because you know something doesn't mean you know something. We have to know what God expects and know and be reminded by God himself with the Spirit of God convicting us and saying, you need to change this in your life. You need to confess this before me. And so we need to know and understand what Scripture's saying to us. Otherwise, we get complacent. We get into a rut. We get into a routine. We just kind of get on the lazy river raft boat with no current or small current and we just coast down the stream of Christianity with little to no life change. God wants us to change things, not by our strength, but by his power. And so we have to read scripture to grow and we have to understand it. And we have to understand not only do we need to confess when we read something that God convicts us of, we also need to be willing to pray that God would change us. There was a time in my life when I got tired of asking God to change me. I wanted to just kind of be the same. You ever felt that way? God, I'm, I'm, I'm good now. I don't need to change anymore. I'm, I'm comfortable now. And God said, no, 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 you, you can't become comfortable because I am ever in a state of changing you to become more like Jesus. So if you feel like you've arrived, you need to get that out of your mind. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. God is not through with you just like he's not through with me. We should always be praying for God to have his will and his way in our life. That's why I believe Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. And it starts with this phrase, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Put it in modern English, God, you are awesome and amazing. I want to praise you right now for all that you have done. That's what the Israelites did in Nehemiah chapter 9. They stopped and they said, first and foremost, if you read the rest of it, God, you created everything. You delivered us from the Egyptians. And they went on and on. And they told story after story after story that most of them were aware of, but they put it way back in their mind. And that's true for most of us. We know just enough to be 
dangerous to ourselves. And we forget that God has done so much and God created everything that we fail to truly pray for his will. In fact, in the Lord's Prayer, after that, Jesus taught us this. Pray this, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Most of us jump right ahead to, oh God, I'm in a pickle, I'm in a tight spot, I'm in a mess, I need this, I need it now. And God says, well, what about what I want? Well, you're the creator, you can, you can handle that. I want to talk to you about my thing right now. God said, no, 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 You've, you need to spend some time praising me, adoring me, show your devotion and love to me, and then I want you to pray for my will to be done. Well, I don't want to do it that way, God. I want to do it my way. You see, herein is the problem. We are too self-focused. A lot of churches have this on their, their stuff now, their advertisement. Everyone welcome. Well, that's true. But here's what, what we don't talk about in a lot of churches. Here's what a lot of churches don't talk about. God welcomes everyone, but God expects everyone who follows him to love him with devotion. God expects everyone to make changes in their life, to become uncomfortable, to give up things that they won't long for so that they can live a life that will please him and honor him. Many churches don't want to talk about that. Many sermons today and many churches promote a fluffy, flowery, do-what-you-want-whatever-makes-you-happy lifestyle. That's not blessing. That's sin. Now, God wants us to have fun. God wants us to enjoy life. But we have to deal with the things that God says no to. And by the way, God has not changed his yes, we should be doing, or his no, we shouldn't be doing list ever. Ever. Nothing's changed. God wants us to pray for his will in our life to be done. Let me say it this way. Say you're a guy, you can be a woman, I guess, man or woman. You're, by the way, you're either a man or a woman. You're not, you're not a shim. And the youth asked me a question a couple of weeks ago about the Furbies. You're not a Furby either. If you don't know what a Furby is, that means somebody thinks they identify as a cat or a dog or a horse or whatever. As I read in Scripture, God says that he created them male and female. And it's all throughout Scripture. So with all of that said, here's what I want to, to, to see. If I, let me just say I, and I don't, but let's say I one day said, I, I think I want to go and have some flirtatious affairs with some other women. Well, that'd be sin, wouldn't it? That'd be big sin. My wife wouldn't be happy about it. My children wouldn't be happy about it. You wouldn't be happy about it. But more importantly than any human relationship here, God would not be happy about it. Because God said, when I took my marriage vow to be loyal and true to my wife until the day of our death, or her death, or my death. Well, if I'm dead, it won't, well, I mean, I'll be in heaven. But if she passes, then I'm free to do what I want. No. No, I'm not. I still have to live a life of purity and I have to stay sexually pure until I marry another. 
See, we, we, we live in a world where we say, eh, I don't want to pray for God's will because I want my will. We need to confess that. And then lastly, I would encourage us to have really sincere worship. I mean real sincere worship. The kind of worship that simply says this, God, I am going to bow before you. You are my creator. You made me. You created me in your image. And you want me to love you more than anything else in this world. And that means love you, God, more than any other human person or anything in this world. And I'm going to be so devoted to you and your purpose and your will and your cause in my life that you matter more to me than anything else in this world. And I am going to bow before you and worship you with honor and glory. I'm going to close with this little story. In my day job of hospice ministry, I get the opportunity to occasionally have worship services. And for a while, I will, on my phone is a hymn book, and I sing to patients. Sometimes people have recorded me, and God help me, they've placed it on Facebook or something. So if you, you see one of those, just just be nice. This, this past week, one of the local facilities, they asked me, hey, would you like to do a worship service for us in the memory unit? Y'all know what the memory unit is? If you don't, I will tell you what the, the memory unit is where people who have dementia live. And this past week, I was in the memory unit, and, and there were several residents gathered around, four men sitting at the front table. I asked them, what is your favorite song? Nobody said nothing. So I looked at one gentleman, and I said, what's your favorite song, your favorite hymn? And he said, Power in the Blood. And I went, all right, I can do that. So we started singing it, and many of them, while they could not carry on a conversation, they sang that song. And then I asked another, what's your favorite? And this one fellow who barely moved looked at me, and I looked at him, and he said, Amazing Grace. And I said, let's sing Amazing Grace. And we sang Amazing Grace. And that went on for the next 20 minutes. Here's what I want you to see. When we truly love Jesus and we truly say, God, you are the one who has saved me. You are the one who has forgiven my sin. You are the one who has gifted me. And even if we don't know our name, the worship of God is still deeply embedded in our soul and our spirit. And these folks blessed me that day because they sang songs that reminded them as they celebrated their own salvation. Pray to God we could truly worship God like those folks. When we we may not know what day it is, we may not know our own name, but deep in our spirit God communes with us and says, you are my child that I saved. And we just worship him. May we do that. Because when we do that, we will grow deeper in our devotion. And it starts with an honest look of confession.